This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the first part of this talk on the place of tradition and ritual forms in Buddhism, Reggie discusses how symbolism, liturgy, and community can connect us with mystery as modern practitioners. This talk was given at the 2006 Advanced Meditating with the Body Retreat, held in Crestone, Colorado. To find out about upcoming Meditating with the Body Retreats, please visit dharmaocean.org. We have a lot of uh, history in our culture as individuals and as members of this uh, world, this modern world we live in, whether we come from, you know, Europe or Asia or America, wherever, we, there's just a lot of history that we carry. And from one point of view, we have a lot of sore spots and we have a lot of buttons that get pushed. And I think if we are, if we're not conscious of that fact, either in terms of ourselves or in working with one another, then it becomes hard to follow the path. Because, for example, if you grew up in a very conventional religious environment, and then somebody sort of dumps something that looks similar to, onto you, you're not going to be able to relate to it. Do you know what I'm saying? In other words, from one point of view, one of the interesting things about the meditating with the body cycle of teaching is that we're starting with the most bare, stripped-down life that we have, and we're working directly with that. So there's no paraphernalia, there's no religious trappings. And it's good because it creates a kind of baseline for us. And many of us simply can't relate to any kind of traditional religion or traditional religious forms. And so this provides a very open entry to us. But, you see, the interesting point is with the teachings of the fourth yana that I've been, uh, I haven't really saying too much about them, but the, the you know, teachings of you know, the Shambhala teachings, they're often said to be secular. And one of the reasons uh, that is given for Trung Burmache having delivered these teachings is that it did provide a way of relating to the, the direct power and sacredness of human life without having to go through a whole religious matrix to get there. And a lot of times with any kind of religious matrix, most people don't make it. They get caught somewhere in the matrix and it turns into another identity and another kind of samsaric activity. And I would say, for most people, that's true. Even with Tibetan Buddhism, most people get caught somewhere in there. And so, um, you know, what is said 
is that he gave these teachings partly to um, bypass that and to show people how they could work directly with their life and their emotions and their reality without having to sign up for an organization or get involved in a whole complicated religious world with all kinds of rules and regulations and commitments. And um, are you with me so far? You know, so this makes a lot of sense, and I think that there's a lot of potential there for a lot of people who have a basic spiritual sense of their life, but just can't sign on to something that has too many preconditions and presuppositions and, you know, that kind of thing. But the interesting point is that when you work with yourself in a spiritual way, you're going to find things coming back that look similar to what you don't like and what you got rid of. And they come back by themselves. For example, many of us in our culture don't like ritual, and we don't like liturgies, and we don't like uh, formats that tell us what we should say and, and, and uh, how we should relate to things. Isn't that true? A lot of us just don't like them. And the reason we don't like them is because they don't feel genuine. They feel like some kind of uh, artificial imposition on our experience. And many of us, as, as I was saying yesterday, many of us have a natural sense of the sacredness of our own experience. And we don't want anybody fucking with it. However, if you take a purely secular approach to spirituality and um, you try to maintain what we think of as secular, no symbolism, no ritual, no liturgy, no beliefs, no, you know, you can just weed everything out that has been problematic, what you wind up with is just us. And when we say us, when we say secular, we're talking about another ideology, actually. The ideology of non-religion. And it's just as messed up as the religious one. So, I'm leading up to something here. There's a Zen teacher, Bonnie, Bonnie, Bonnie. Hmm? Yeah, what is her last name? Marta. Marta? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I need to find out because I think what she said was very good. In a, one of the Buddhist journals recently, she said that ritual, there's a true ritual and a false ritual. The false ritual is some kind of defense mechanism against reality. That's not good, and that's what we all reject. But there's a true ritual or liturgy which is maintaining our connection with mystery, with the mystery of life and the mystery of the universe, and having a sense that there is a bigger, vaster, unimaginable, mysterious world that we are part of, and that while we can't ever know it, we have a sense of connection and even communion with it, and it's a world that we very much need to be in touch with in order to be human beings in the full sense, as we've been talking about. So, 
It's all very interesting. So that's one area that does come back to you, that um, how are we going to connect ourselves with a larger mystery of being? How do we do that in a day-to-day -day way? That's a good question. And then another aspect of, I wouldn't say traditional Western religion, but um, certainly traditional Asian religion that also comes back is the need for community of people working together. Well, I guess we have that in the West too, in a certain sense. But of spiritual practitioners being together and sharing the horrors and the joy of the spiritual life, and especially the horrors. You know, as we've all talked about, and as you know, when you work in a spiritual way, everything is at stake, and everything is called for, and everything is requested. And there is nothing left, actually, that we can hold back for me and mine and I. We can't, we can't keep anything. We're given our life, and we're given the, the beauty and the power and sacredness of the world. And there's no greater gift that could ever come than that. On the other hand, there's a price, and the price is we have to actually give up any sense of personal territory and personal secrecy and personal privacy and personal possession. That's, that's the price. It's your choice. I know a lot of people that are not willing to pay the price. No, I'm not going to do that. I would rather live in my own little hole in the ground and just, you know, um, uh, among my vomit and my feces and my urine. I'm comfortable here. It's warm. And I'm not going to go up and experience the sunlight and the fresh air. I'm not willing to give up my little hole. And even students that I have basically say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not interested. I want to study with you. I, you know, I think you're really great. You're such great teachers. But I'm not going to pay the price. Each one of us also has on a day-to-day -day version, including myself, our little, um, our version of that, which is, I'm not, I don't want to pay this price. But some of us are lucky enough that the lineage doesn't really give a shit what we think. And once we make the commitment, they will come after us and they will root us out of that hole. They, uh, they put the, uh, you know, the smoke guns down there and just turn them on full blast. And you stay down there as long as you possibly can, and pretty soon you realize you're about to suffocate, and you come out looking for air. You know, the price is large. It's a huge price. It's an it's a, um, excruciating price. And we need to be with other people who are in the same way of living. We have to, because we can't do it ourselves. And we have to talk to people about our pain, and then there can be some humor and some connection and some appreciation. And so community, very important, and it comes back. And for many of us, in, especially in the modern world, and especially in the Western modern world, uh, community is just, it's, a, it's a not a thing that we want to get involved with. And, you know, I always think back to, um, I had about 10 years raising our daughters where we lived in a neighborhood and we had people living around us in their houses, and we had our house, and every Sunday we'd be out there mowing our lawns. And it was really quite interesting, actually. And these were really quite fine people. We actually enjoyed our neighbors. But the thing was, their whole thing was their personal privacy, and that they were not interested in community, and they really didn't, basically didn't have any friends. And this is what they wanted. So one of the things, I think, as 
modern people, another thing that, that you know, I was talking about, the whole you know, ritual and liturgy comes back, but also this thing about community, and it's not an easy thing. I mean, being in community, being with other people is really hard. And yet, it comes back as a need. If you want to follow the journey, there's got to be a sense of that. You need, we all need that kind of support and um, sense of interconnection. And again, it's not a community based on neurosis and based on mutual affirmation and building each other up and trying to make each other feel like, you know, we're good and valuable people. No, I mean, that's a samsaric style. But it's sharing the journey. That's basically what it comes down to, sharing the suffering and the woes and the humor and the joys of the journey. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org. Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet, Cry of the Snow Lion.